0: The sign on the telephone pole caught everybody's attention. Reward, $1,000, lost dog. And then he went on to describe the dog, if you got close enough to see the fine print. Three-legged, blind in one eye, almost deaf, accidentally neutered, tail broken off goes or answers to the name lucky <laughs> not exactly our definition of lucky right in fact i would think that that would be the most unlucky dog around except for one one thing you know what it is it's got a master That loves him enough to pay an extravagant price. He is lucky. Does God really care? Why is there so much suffering? And as I work through this this morning, I in no way or another want to come off as trite or or insensitive or shallow. These are deep questions that strike at the heart of all of our lives. Why is there suffering? Does God really care? I believe God does. He paid a steep price for us. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. May these words be your words, O God. Hide me behind the cross, O God. And for all that I don't say, may you fill in the gaps. And may we truly, O God worship you in these moments, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Probably the most difficult problem or issue or question that Christians face is the issue of suffering, the tension between God's love and human suffering, the tension between A God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and a world that is broken. Why is there so much suffering? And uh, for those who have experienced suffering, this is more than just a philosophical issue or something to be debated over lunch or breakfast or around the fire, fire camp. Uh, no, this reaches into the core of who we are. How do we deal with it? The problem of suffering. Let's take a look at the Bible for a moment. In the Old Testament, there is this back and forth between suffering. There is, at, at some points in the Old Testament, a, a blaming of suffering upon sin and unrighteousness. That suffering is a, is a judgment, it is a punishment. And, and then there are other places where there seems to be this confusion. Uh, the book of Job, for example, is all about suffering. And in the book of Job, basically every idea of that particular day is, is dismantled in the arguments of his friends that come to him. He has lost everything. And it seems to be confusing because there is no real answer that is given and then suddenly Job is restored. The only thing that we see about Job finally at the end as he responds to God's voice is trust. He trusts the Almighty. In spite of it all, he trusts. In the Psalms, and and I love the Psalms because... (laughs) The two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. They are complaints. You know, and I hate to complain in my prayers and be a whiner. And so I just go to the Psalms and I read the Psalms to God. <laughs> you know, hey, God, I'm not, I'm not a complainer. I'm just reading your word. Jesus quoted one of the Psalms on the cross. Psalm 22 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We we see that and we wonder, why would the Son of God complain? The reality is, is that most of the laments, like Psalm 22, that opens with those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, end with words of victory. I believe that when Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was headed toward the words, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In, your, in our ancestors they trusted, and you delivered them. Jesus, in his suffering was on the road to glory. Uh, Psalm t- 69 is one example like that. It's one of my favorites. Um, it's one of the most graphic, explicit descriptions of suffering, disappointment, distress, and bitterness in the Bible. Cindy read the first part of it for you. I, I want to read just another section. I, When I get down, there are people get after me. This is what I like to read to God. Let their table be a trap for them, (laughs) a snare for their allies. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May there can't be a desolation. Let no one live in their tents For they persecute those whom you have struck down, and those whom you have wounded, they attack still more. Add guilt to their guilt, and may they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of life. I was sharing this with a pastor friend of mine, and he said, John, you really shouldn't be praying that about other people, you know. And I would encourage you not to either. That's pretty tough stuff. But this is how the psalmist ends. I will praise the name of the Lord with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own that are in bonds. Let heaven and earth praise him, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. And those who love his name shall live in it. Trust. Are we strong enough in our faith to trust? I, you know, I know it seems easy for me to say the words. I, we can say the words. But when we experience Something else. In the New Testament, the answer to the question of suffering is found in Jesus. Our answer is found in Christ. The eternal Son of God lived on earth as a human being, endured hunger. Thirst, temptation, shame, persecution, nakedness, bereavement, betrayal, mockery, injustice, and death. God knows our suffering. Jesus is in a position to fill our deepest longing... And for this reason, I can say to you that with all my heart and with all my soul, with everything that is in here and in here, I believe that Christianity is the only way. It is the only answer to the deep questions of our existence. It is the only worldview that consistently makes sense. Especially of suffering. When we ask the question, does God care about the problem of evil and suffering? We point to the cross. And we say, that much. Eli in the, uh who was a Holocaust survivor, actually a Jewish writer. He writes of his experience in a very short book called Night. It's not bedtime reading. It is a graphic description of his suffering and what he experienced in the death camps. He tells a story a night of a a morning where they were going through the bread line to get but just a small crisp of, of bread, just a little bit, just not even enough to get you through a few hours. And there, next to the line was a man, were two men and a boy hung with piano wire, a typical punishment of the Germans for almost any offense. It was gross, it was horrible. It was gut-wrenching," says Wiesel. He says he's in line, and there's a man in front of him, and he is shouting, he is screaming. And there's a rabbi behind him and he is between the two and he turns past Wiesel and he says to the rabbi, where is your God now? Tell me, rabbi, O holy one, where is your God now? And Wiesel says, the rabbi with tears streaming down his face, points at the boy and says, he hangs with the boy. That's where my God is. Why do we suffer? I I I don't know. Why is there injustice? Why is it but this I do know that God is with us. The God of the universe. The God of all creation is with us. Creation is broken. That's, I, that's the answer to the why. Creation is broken. Our existence is broken. We are broken. And, and and this is another reason why I stand before you as someone to to with all of there is within me to say. Come, be a part of what we are doing because to live in this broken world is, is without hope. There is no hope but that which is found here because what we proclaim is that God is not done with us yet. God is not done with us yet. There is still more to come. Jesus is the only one. Son of God. Divine and human. Instead of hell. Jesus offered them heaven. Instead of judgment. Jesus Offered them grace. Instead of an angry God, Jesus showed them love. Instead of a condemning God, instead of one who carries out punishment, Jesus dies in our place. Jesus is the great hope of all. He suffers not only with us, but for us. There is no other. You know, (laughs) this life is not the end. And and I, I know that sounds trite. You know, this life is not the end. You know, just gut it out a little longer. No, that's not what I mean by that. God is here with us. But no matter what happens in this life, we are still part of a greater unfolding of God's will And God's power and God's uh, redemption, and what God is doing both now has been and will be. God is no bystander of human suffering, He died. And finally, God is the answer to human suffering for He will not let us go. I I really believe that's why Paul says in Romans, and, and it is for me the greatest hope of all, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. This week our scout troop heard that one of another of their legacy of scouts had passed away. It's quite a bit of suffering over the last couple of years. Put that scripture back up there. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. There were others in our congregation who've gotten news about cancer. We've lost family. I mean, we read the newspaper of genocide, for goodness sakes. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory. The glory? A glory so incredible that it cannot even compare with this. Hmm. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just make a promise about some, something way out in the future. Paul goes on in Romans, a little on farther in chapter, in chapter 8. Looking for that passage here. All things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God is still working. God is still working. In other words, not only does the glory about to be revealed to us can even compare to the suffering that we are experiencing now. God is in the midst of who we are. And please, I don't want to be trite, nor light, nor anything else. I believe that God uses all things in some way. Even this. Now, I want to be clear. This is a tough subject. I don't have the answers, all the answers to suffering. I wrote this sermon seven times this week, and I was writing it again over there, and David, there's a different ending that's coming than the one I shared with you earlier. No one knows the answers. And if someone tells you they know the answers, run. Run. I'm not wise enough to understand the deep mysteries of life. There is only one who does. And there is only one place to go. But I do know this. I do know this. God loves us more than we can ever know. God offers us strength to those who grieve. God makes good even in the deepest loss of our lives. And I believe that God is already in our future, building and making something that we cannot even imagine. That's what I believe. Maybe you've been at one of these events. There's a crowd... Maybe it's a football game or some kind of celebration or a concert. But at some point the crowd gets quiet and you realize that there's a pocket and something has happened. And and then as it begins to unfold, you see the you see the the first responders, the police and others begin to gather down there, and then it comes across the sound system. Do you know what the words are? You remember them? Is there a doctor in the house? Have you heard those words before? Is there a doctor in the house? Maybe you've come this morning. And if you haven't, there has been or will be a day when we will sit in those chairs. And we will look at this cross. And we will say with all of our heart and mind and soul, Oh God, Is there a doctor in this house? Yes. Absolutely. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes. There is a doctor in the house.